Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Thank you, Jade. Good morning, everyone. All of you astute people that set your clocks forward. I love waking up early. How many like waking up early? Wow. I tell my wife all the time, I wish I could preach at like 10 p.m. Anyhow, uh, we're... How are you all doing on our church fast? Some better than others? I'm doing pretty good so far. I'm doing intermittent fasting this time right now and uh, keeping, a, keeping a good schedule on that. But hopefully, if you're not participating in that, we'd love to invite you to participate in our church fast. There's many ways that you can do that. And uh, we want to hear God's voice. The other thing I wanted to mention Uh, Just because it's kind of a newer type thing, we do have a class called All Things WCF that's going to be starting next next Sunday. And uh, thank you, Mike. The class is designed for anyone that's kind of newer here. Um, If you've come in in the last few years, or maybe if you've never taken like our our Connect class uh, back in the day. Uh, I highly encourage you to come out to the class, but we need you to kind of sign up. We want to have a little bit of um, refreshments available, and we kind of need the numbers of that ahead of time. So Wednesday will be the last day that you can sign up for that. But we'd love to have you out there, especially if you're newer. And you'll, you'll hear a little bit more about kind of how the church runs and operates and some of the people, uh, you know, you see me sometimes, but there's other key leaders in the church that you might not know necessarily who they are. Um, Hopefully, all of us will be able to come in and say hi and greet you and tell you a little bit more about how the church works. Now, that said, today's Weapons of Our Warfare message is called Friend or Foe. And my wife was like, how does that relate to a weapon? When you understand the concept that I'm going to talk to you about today, you will realize Okay, where you stand, where your place is, and how to use all of the weapons we've talked about over the last weeks. Now, I want to give you some background to the text that John and Leela read for us today. Israel, as we know, had been miraculously delivered from slavery by God. Okay, the 10 plagues, Pharaoh, they make movies about it. Some of you have seen the movies, okay. And, and instead of believing God, the Israelites whined and complained, and their inability to change this mindset coupled with their disobedience caused them uh, to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So they took this journey. Now, depending on which scholar you want to talk to, some say they could have done it in 11 days. Some say 47. I think that's more realistic with the number of people that were there, but it doesn't really matter. The point is, something that they could have done in a couple months took them 40 years. 
Now, some of you, God wanted to work some stuff out in your life, and he could have done it in a couple months, and 40 years later, you're still going around the mountain. The whining, the complaining, and the disobedience are the primary contributors to that. How awesome is that? Despite their complaining and disobedience to God, he still provided for his people miraculously for about 40 years. When Moses died, and he gave them manna, right? And he provided for them. When Moses died, God told Joshua, go take the land. So Joshua, Moses' successor, they did this 30 days of mourning for Moses, and then he sent some spies into the land, and they ended up um, at Rahab's house, the prostitute. And um, what a great place to hide, I guess, if you're spying out the land. The truth is that would probably be the only place they could hide and not raise any red flags. <laughs> but um, she ended up in the lineage of Christ. No redemption there. But they learned from her that the people of the land were terrified of the nation of Israel, and they had been for 40 years. And not only was Jericho terrified, all the surrounding kings and tribes were terrified as well and paralyzed with fear. And I think, you know, how sometimes we make a mistake, but God turns it around for good. God, it sounds like God took what happened with Pharaoh in Egypt, and it became a legend. And the more the people talked about it, the more afraid they got, and the bigger it got, and the bigger it got, and the bigger it got. So they were, they were ripe to be conquered. They crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Now, I want you to understand something. They crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, too. And and some, I I, I love people with their science that try to prove the Bible, which it does. And I've heard everything from it's 19 miles, 19 kilometers across and 40 feet deep or 100 feet deep, right? To it was only two feet deep, so it wasn't a great miracle. Either way, They walked across on dry ground, and God drowned the entire Egyptian army (laughs) in two feet of water, (laughs) or or 100 feet of water. Doesn't matter. Don't care. It's still a miracle. But I thought it was interesting that 40 years later, when all those people died off in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb, who were obedient to what God said, the others were all disobedient that there was another miracle when they crossed the Jordan and the priests stepped in with the ark and the water dried up and all of Israel crossed on dry ground. And I was thinking about that, even though it's unrelated to what I'm talking about, but I believe that every generation needs to experience a move of God. Every generation needs to see the miracle working power of God. And if your generation hasn't seen it yet, hold on, fasten your seatbelt, it's coming. But interesting... Um, they had to reinstitute the covenant because for 40 years they had not really been participating in the covenant that God set up, so they circumcised all the men. And then they took a few days to heal. But interesting, after they crossed the border into the Jordan, into the land, the manna stopped. When the manna stopped, guess what? Hey, boys and girls, time to get going. Go conquer the land like I told you to do 40 years ago. 
Sometimes when the provision stops, we're like, hey, God, what happened? (laughs) You might want to start looking around and see where he's leading you and what he's telling you and what he's instructing you to do. Okay, this is the background. So now Joshua, the leader of Israel, he's coming near Jericho. Now, it doesn't really tell us why he was going near Jericho, but I presume um, he was going to check out the city that he had to conquer. Whoa, those are pretty high walls and they're pretty thick. They built houses on the walls. Hmm. We don't have siege equipment or ladders or battering rams. How are we going to conquer this land? He's, he's, he's meditating on it, right? And, and as he's doing that, it says, a man appears with his sword drawn. Now, I don't know about you, but generally, if someone approaches you with their sword drawn, it's about to get real. In 2022, when someone comes at you with their shotgun open, it's about to get real. How are we doing? You understand? It got his attention. Now, Joshua, (laughs) hey, uh, are you a friend or a foe? Are you with us or are you with our enemies? I guess it doesn't really matter the answer. (laughs) But here's what happens. The man revealed himself as the commander of the Lord's armies and that he isn't on either side. In that moment, Joshua had an epiphany and he realized, oh, time to worship. And the next thing out of his mouth is, what would you like your servant to do? Now, we know most theologians, theologians, yeah, I love it. They consider that the angel allowing Joshua to worship him would be proof that the angel of the Lord came down or a pre-incarnate visit of Christ, okay? And being the leader and the commander of the Lord's armies, um, I, I can agree with that. But basically, the angel, Jesus, said to Joshua, I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, and in our life... Today, we humans have a perspective issue, right? I want to read Exodus 23, 20 to 23. Oh, I didn't even put it in here. I need it on the screen. Exodus 23, 20 to 23. See, I am sending an angel before you to protect you on your journey and lead you safely to the place I've prepared for you. Pay close attention to him and obey his instructions. Do not rebel against him, for he's my representative and he will not forgive your rebellion. But if you're careful to obey him, following all my instructions, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and I will oppose those who oppose you. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, so that you may live there and I will destroy them completely. He says it again in Exodus 32, 34 and again in Exodus 33, two and three. I will send my angel before you. God told Moses what was going to happen way back 40 years ago. Forty years later, God didn't change his mind. He still sent his angel to go before him. In fact, they would have never took the land without God showing up. Now, we ask ourselves this question, is God on our side? If we say yes, we reduce God to our perspective of him. If we say no, we can lean towards, does he really care about us? So what is it? The perspective that I think that is most important is, here's the question or the key. Are you on God's side? Amen. 
See, we get it wrong so many times. Like, does the sun move behind a cloud? You were talking about the sun, Jade. Does it move behind a cloud? The truth is the sun didn't move. The cloud did. The earth did. The sun didn't. But from human perspective, it looks like the sun moved behind the cloud. Except the cloud and the earth moved and we're on the earth. Do you define morality based on the people around you? Well, I'm better than the guy next to me. Do you compare yourself to others and say, well, I'm good. I'm better than him. Or I'm better than her. Do you define your identity based on anything than the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Who you are in Christ? Am I a pastor, father, son, brother, husband, or am I a Christ follower? How do you identify? It's important that we understand this. Do you think that God is like your fairy godmother that's supposed to give you everything you deserve? You're in for a rude awakening. But God, I prayed that you would magically provide lots of money for me. He did. He gave you a job opportunity. And you turned it down because you didn't want to do it. Oh, wow. Do you believe that God is for you and against your enemies? We define God based on our observations, or do we define ourselves based on who God is? Here's a contrast. God's perspective was very different than Joshua's perspective. Joshua, are you for them or for us? God, I'm not for either. No, I'm here to take over. Let me, let me, this will be fun. Did you know in Canada, God is not a conservative, a liberal, or an NDP? or any other thing that you want to call yourself? From my friends in the States down south, he's not a Republican or a Democrat. Did you know that God is not for Ukraine and against Russia? Blasphemy. Did you know God is not a Baptist, a Pentecostal, a Catholic, a Lutheran, an Anglican, or anything else you want to call yourself? Second Baptist, First Baptist, twice removed. A Mennonite brethren. A free Mennonite. Do you know God's not for your personal cause and against someone else's? How about husbands and wives? You get into conflict, you know God is not for the husbands and against the wives? Or for the wives and against the husbands? He's not for Taiwan and against China. Are you catching this? He's not for the vaxxed and against the unvaxxed. Now I'm preaching good. God is not on your side against. Because you know why? And, and, and I know this message is, I've got a caveat for some of you later that are really struggling theologically right now and freaking out. But God loves all humans. 
In fact, Jesus came to earth to die for humans, all of them. Not just the ones that look like you, act like you, think like you, walk like you, talk like you, and worship where you worship. He died for all humans. Humans create division amongst themselves. Humans break peace and unity on earth when they partner with Satan. God has a desire to bless everyone. He really does have a good plan for everyone. So I think the problem is, like Joshua, we're not asking the right question. We're asking the wrong question. Whose side are you on? God's like, what do you mean side? Wrong question, Joshua. We ask the wrong questions, we get the wrong answers. Have you ever prayed for God to bring justice on your enemies? Listen, God is not against vengeance. He just reserves the right to execute it only for himself. And then there's some cases where he will empower a government authority to execute justice. So when you commit a crime, in theory, there should be a judge and a jury who executes judgment against you and there is a consequent for your action. God is the one that reserves vengeance for himself. And the truth is, do you trust your heart to execute vengeance properly? Because I mean... I don't know about you, but my tendency would be, oh, look, my enemies. <laughs> Wipe them all out. Oh, come on, don't act so pious. I pray for my enemies, Pastor. I'm sure you do. At the same time, we're praying for God to judge our enemies. They're praying for him to judge us. Proverbs 24, 17 to 20 in the Amplified. Do not rejoice and gloat when your enemy falls. What? Don't let your heart be glad in self-righteousness when he stumbles. Or the Lord will see your gloating and be displeased and turn his anger away from your enemy. Don't get upset because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked. Let me say that again. Don't get upset because of evildoers or be envious of the wicked because they have more stuff than you. They have a seemingly better life than you. For there will be no future for the evil man. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. Here's the caveat. I'm going to use definition B of caveat for all of you scholars. An exclamation, an explanation to prevent misinterpretation. Because I'm sure there are some of you that are really triggered right now and about ready to throw stuff at me. <laughs> you notice we don't put tomatoes outside the front door anymore. I think there's going to be potatoes soon. <laughs> I don't know if I like that either. <laughs> God is just. He enacts the consequences for the choices that people make. 
doesn't mean he loves them any less, but when you make a decision, he allows you to experience, you sow a decision, you reap the consequence of that decision. What does Jesus say in Matthew 5? 45, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. What do you mean? God, you let the sun shine on the wicked people? And it rains on their crops too? Yeah, that does happen. But why? Don't you want to know why? Let's go to Galatians 6, 4 to 10. I love this. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Does it say pay careful attention to your neighbor's work? No. Whose work are you supposed to pay attention to? Whose life are you responsible for? You are responsible for your decisions. Then you get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. Hmm. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Oh, I like that verse. You should like that verse too. Do not be, or don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't miss the boat on this. Don't miss the point of this conversation. Are you catching this? You cannot mock the justice of God. And there's a principle here that God has set in motion from before time. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Let's not be weary in well-doing, is another translation. Let's not get exhausted while we're waiting for good things to turn around in our life. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. When does it say you're going to reap a harvest of blessing? If you what? I mean, it's spring soon. Is it spring now? No, soon. You plant in the spring and you harvest later. But if you plant today and expect to harvest tomorrow, you're going to be disappointed. In life, sometimes it takes time for things to turn around. And we get impatient because we want everything now. That's the awake check for those of you that were dozing because you got up too early. I love watching people go. (gasps) Got to get a camera up here so you can see what I see. (laughs) Therefore, when we have an opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. You reap what you sow. You've heard it. Do unto others. How you treat others is how you will be treated. You want to plant discord? Guess what you're going to reap? It's going to find you. You want to plant gossip? Guess who will become its target? You want to plant sexual immorality? You're going to reap the pain of it. Often shame and loneliness. How are we doing? You sow joy? You reap joy. You sow peace, you reap peace. You sow love, you reap love. 
You sow to the flesh or you sow to the spirit. You sow to the wind, you reap the whirlwind. It says that in Hosea, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm going to go with the word. <laughs> Matthew twenty six fifty two. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. In other words, Peter, put the sword away before you have some consequences in your life related to this. Violent people quite often die a violent death. It's not like the movies, I assure you. In real life, you think you're a gangster and you want to go shoot people up and boom, boom, boom and play the little I'm the bad boy, you're going to end up dead. And they do all the time. Yeah. You reap what you sow. You sow violence, you reap violence. It's a principle that God set in motion, and guess what? There is one case that I'll get to in a minute where God actually will reverse that. I'll tell you what it is. But Jesus was looking out for Peter. Hey, Peter, put the sword away. It's not the time for that. Does the Bible not warn us continually not to be deceived, not to be misled on these matters of sexual morality, gossip, drunkenness, lying, stealing, hatred, disobedience to God's command? I mean, your mom told you not to touch the hot stove, but how many of you did anyway? God says, don't we do? And then he lets us reap the consequence of our choice. I think in Proverbs it says you have to experience the full terror of the path you've chosen. When you sin, when you break God's law, when you break God's commands, he is just so he enacts the consequence of your choice. He allows you to harvest what you've planted in this life. Now, I know many of you want God to show up in your life, but you got to understand something. When he does, he's coming to take over. He's not coming to be your personal fairy godmother to give you your every wish and desire. The correct answer when God shows up is, what would you like your servant to do? Do you understand that? You have to surrender to him. That's how this arrangement works best. Obedience. In the context of the Lord's return, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We know that in Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is death. If you sow sin, you will reap death. But the free gift of God, his remarkable, overwhelming gift of grace to believers is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's a consequence that God paid for us. He paid the price for us on one of these consequences. You know what that consequence was? God paid the sin debt for us because we were unable to save ourselves. It was a consequence he didn't want us to pay, so Jesus died for our sin. It's a debt we couldn't pay. Well, let's think about this because we're talking about justice and we're talking about sowing and reaping. And you know, how many of you have ever been frustrated because you see a godly person that goes home early, they get sick and they die young? And you see an ungodly person who lives to be like 99, the evil one. And you think, how unjust is that that this righteous one died early and this unrighteous one gets to live such a long time? 
Has anyone ever thought, where's the, where's the justice in that? Some of you? None of you have thought that? Oh, I see a few hands. Let's look at 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. Some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He wants everyone to repent. Is it possible that God let that guy hang in there for 99 years because he was giving him every possible opportunity to turn his life around? Every opportunity to repent for his wrong behavior and actions because God is loving. That doesn't mean that evil people don't die young too. A lot of times they cut their life short. But the problem when we have these conversations all the time, is we look at things from human perspective, not from God's perspective. When I say, are you my friend, are you my enemy? When you look at God, are you asking him, are you my friend or my enemy? Yeah, we know he loves you and he wants to be your friend. But are your actions in alignment with your profession? And you don't save yourself by your actions, don't be fooled, I'm not teaching something different. We know that it's a free gift. I just talked about it. For the non-Christian person who doesn't know God, they sow sin and reap destruction. In fact, they don't even really have the ability to not sow sin because they live in the flesh. They live according to the flesh, so they reap the destruction of the flesh. In Christ Something changes because the Spirit of God comes in and it gives you the ability to start sowing to the Spirit, sowing life, and you can start reaping life. It breaks the destructive cycle of sin over your life. What concerns me is when people come to Christ, but they don't start breaking the destructive cycle of sin over their life. You have the obligation and the responsibility to start exercising the word of God in every arena of your life. I came across a a meme this week. It wasn't very laughable. It was actually horrible. And it was a little boy praying, God, please help all the women on daddy's computer so that they could have clothing. the innocence of a child. But what direction is he leading his family? I could go into so many other things. So many times we escape reality by hiding in drugs, sex, movies, TV, internet, books, whatever. We don't go to the word of God as our source of life. We go to everything else. In Joshua 5, where we started, there was a couple things that had to happen. The angel said, take off your shoes. There's a holiness that has to happen. We have to come to the place where we live a holy life. Not a works-based holiness, a grace-based holiness. But you have every authority to overcome sin within you in Christ. You have the ability to conquer temptation. 
every day. Christ has given you his spirit so that you can be an overcomer, a victor, not a defeated one, not a fallen one. So there's this understanding that holiness allows, that that preparation season of holiness allows God to be with us because you need God with you. Joshua needed God with him or they would have never took Jericho. You need God with you or you're never going to defeat some of the giants inside of your life. Our leader is Jesus. Are we looking to him? And are you trying to get him on your side? By your good behavior, by your actions, by your prayers, by your fasting, by your penance? You're looking at it wrong. You need to go get on his side. Where Jesus is, you need to go be. And if you're not with him, you need to ask yourself, why not? And if you know him and you're not with him, I have some concerns. Are we being obedient to the divine commands that he's given us? Joshua reset the covenant with the people. There was a preparation that had to happen so that they could be obedient to do what God told them to do and go where he told them to go and say what he told them to do. I I promise you, when Joshua said to the people, hey, we're going to walk around the city today, they laughed. Really? We're going to do what? Yeah, we're going to walk around the city. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times and we're going to shout. Then the walls are going to fall down. All you scientists, tell me how that works. I'll tell you how it works. The commander of the Lord of hosts came and said, your cup of iniquity is full, people in the land of Canaan. Now it's time for judgment. And then there was a sanctification, right, that had to happen. They had to come to that place where they were fully obedient to his command, fully obeying his commands. And then things started to change in their life. And you know, I find it amusing because sometimes if you follow the conquest of the land of Canaan, while militarily, you know, most military strategists would say Joshua's genius, he divided the land in two and cut them off from reinforcements and... But there was times when Joshua stopped seeking God and said, oh, I can do this one. It's just a little city. And it didn't work out so good for them. They had to learn to rely on the Spirit of God. That angel that went before them, they had to listen to him. And when they didn't listen to him or seek God for direction, they ended up creating problems for themselves. Just like in your life, you create problems for yourself when you do not seek God first. Can everyone stand with me? The truth is, I don't know what's going on in your heart. God knows what's going on in your heart. I don't know what you sowed this week. I don't know if you sowed fear, division, strife, or if you sowed love, peace, joy, righteousness. God knows. You can fool yourself, but you can't fool God. We're about to come to the table together.
We partake of the Lord's Supper. We partake of communion. There's a couple things that God says we better do before we come to the table. One is we need to forgive others. Then we can receive forgiveness. We need to discern the Lord's body. We need to pay attention to what we're about to do because we're partaking of our covenant with him. But he doesn't want to be joined with something that's unholy. You got unholiness in your life. You need to repent of that. There may be someone here that's never really surrendered their life to Christ. You come to church and you say amen and you've learned the lingo, but you don't have a relationship with Christ. You don't know how to have a conversation with him. You don't know how to serve him. You don't know how to hear his voice. You struggle with sin because you're not letting, your, your spirit has not been renewed. You haven't been changed inside because you've never repented of your sin and acknowledged Christ in the cross you've never been saved, never really given your life to Christ, you should come talk to me right afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. And some of you, it says, we overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. And we love not our lives to death. That's why we give people an opportunity to share the goodness of God, like we're going to do on Wednesday night where people will share, this is what God has done for me. And others can be encouraged and you testify and you declare the goodness of God in your life. So Father, as we have the cup in our hand today, or the the bread, I thank you that in Jesus' brokenness, he made a way for us to be restored to the Father. Lord, help us to position ourselves before you, the Holy One, We want to be where you are. We want to be on your side. We want our will to be aligned with your will. Help us to be obedient servants. What you say, we will do. Where you tell us to go, we will go. Thank you, Lord, that we can be instruments of peace and instruments of healing in our land. You love people. Help us to love people even the ones we don't like so much. And in your brokenness, make us whole, mind, body, and spirit. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. As we look to the cup today, the blood of the new covenant. Fathers, we are about to partake in a covenant relationship with you. I thank you that you have examined our hearts. And Lord, we confess to you the things that are not from you, the grand ideas, the pride, the foolishness, the uncleanness. We lay it down at the foot of your cross today. Help us, Lord, to stop creating division in our world, but help us to be instruments of healing. Heal us, help us heal others. Anoint our words when we speak with power and authority because we know who we are in you. 
in Jesus' name.